0: Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Erich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. And my friend is here today, Colleen Kessler. Welcome.
1: Thank you. I am so excited to be here, Ginny. We've been talking about this for a couple of years. So it's super exciting. <laughs> yes. So you're the only, oh, well, Adelaide has been on.
0: But we have been in an escape room together. Yes. There are very few podcast guests that I've had on that I've been in an escape room with. So this is extra special. We did that after a conference in Ohio. It was so fun.
1: Yeah, Cincinnati. And we we got out.
0: We we did. We were actually gonna go home because we don't live super far from Cincinnati. So we were gonna go home that night, but we stayed. We stayed so that we could do the escape room. And that was super fun. And your kids were there. And I just love that because those conferences are grueling. So it's fun to have something to look forward to at the end okay but before we go any further i have your wonderful book raising resilient sons a boy mom's guide to building a strong confident and emotionally intelligent family but you also have like um like a million books basically so many books and i i mean i also have the backyard activities one so i had that one before i even met you and i mean just so many books author of more than a dozen books and you have an online community uh, raising poppies, and you have the Learners Lab. Yeah, tell us how did you end up here? You've got so much going on.
1: Yeah, well, so I started. I started actually. So I'm I'm a teacher. I have a master's degree in education. My focus is and was um, on gifted and twice exceptional kids. I worked as a gifted specialist um, for about. 10 years before I left teaching, 15 years of teaching altogether. Um, my husband's still a teacher. He's a reading specialist. And I left teaching originally actually to write full-time because I was already writing. I was writing books for teachers, for kids, for parents. And I loved it. And I thought, hey, this is perfect. I can write during the day and be home for my kids when they get you know, off the bus. And it'll be just the perfect life, working from home and, and making cookies for my kids and, and whatever. And, you know, best laid plans and all of that. My oldest is profoundly gifted with a lot of anxiety, hyperactivity, and all the stuff that doesn't fit with boys in school. And it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster, but you know, God puts you where you need to be, right? And I was already home working from home when kindergarten and first grade were disasters. So kind of under duress, kicking and screaming, I pulled him out in the middle of first grade and he turns 21 in a week and a half. So that was a long time ago. And because I was already writing and had left teaching with the understanding that we needed that second income, I just kept writing. And I started a blog at the time. And I was writing about our adventures, kind of homeschooling, gifted and twice exceptional kids, and nobody else was. And I was coming at it from the perspective, both as a gifted specialist who got the way the brain worked as well as someone in the trenches doing it all day and things started resonating. So I started focusing my writing more on that and serving and coaching and consulting families who were also pulling their kids out when they were quirky and outside the box thinkers and needed more you know, support with emotional intelligence and social and emotional skills. And here I am now, this is our 15th or 16th year of homeschooling. I still have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 10-year-old at home, and I've created the things that my kids have needed and other kids in kind of our same demographic have needed as we've gone. So Raising Poppy started as a Facebook group just to talk about being with gifted and twice exceptional kids, which then spread into the Learner's Lab, which is a membership community of families who are homeschooling, quirky Outside the box thinkers. And we do social and emotional challenges each month, creative thinking classes and challenges, group coaching for parents. The teens have a meetup via Zoom once a month. And then I just keep writing. I write books for parents and for kids. It's just a lot of fun and very all over the place.
0: Mm -hmm. So you still have the writing thing going on. Yeah. But there are so many other elements that have attached on can you unpack a little bit more gifted and twice exceptional because these are words that get thrown around a lot Mm -hmm. but then i think there are probably a large percentage of people out, like myself who maybe don't fully understand the ins and outs of nuances
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely so that is my background and one of the things i love about my experience when i was studying for my master's in gifted education which i'll talk about we also the place that i went had um a professor the head of the department was very much focused on the social and emotional needs of kids who don't fit the neurotypical kind of box and that was a long time ago i mean we're talking 20 years ago neurotypical and neurodivergent was not really used right we had everybody separated into different boxes but essentially it's being neurodivergent your brain is divergent from like the typical kind of bell curve and Gifted is clinically when a kiddo's cognitive abilities are about two standard deviations above average. So if we're talking just clinical, right? So if you would test that child's cognitive abilities, they are about two standard deviations or more above average IQ, like where the typical kids fall. But kids who struggle cognitively tend to be two standard deviations below that average. So they're just as discrepant from neurotypical, which we have since found through research and working with kids and realizing that brains come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, is that they, because of that similarly divergent brain function. A lot of times kids who are really bright in one area are also kind of behind or lagging in other areas. So that's where we get like a twice exceptional kid. That's what that means that they are both cognitively advanced, but also struggle with some other kind of neurodivergency. So like you get kids who are very, very bright, like my son, who grasp concepts pretty quickly, but at 12 years old is like throwing the mulch on the playground like a three-year-old because socially and emotionally, he's not quite there yet because his brain's been focused on the thing that shows, you know, academically in his case. Whereas um, one of my daughters is very, very creative and and an outside-the-box thinker and problem solver in a non-traditional kind of way, not like mathy problems, Mm -hmm. but she's very empathetic. She nurtures younger children. She does not really fit with same-age people. She gets along with adults or she gets along with itty bitty kids because her brain is both advanced in some ways and then behind in others. And she also struggles with dyslexia. So a gifted child on paper is someone cognitively advanced. A twice exceptional kid on paper is someone who's cognitively advanced, but then also has some kinds of struggles. But Overall, it's anybody that has some kind of neurodivergence, a difference from the norm is what we would think of.
0: It's so fascinating that this is something that you went into before having kids. Yeah. So what was it that drew you into this field when you started?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting story, actually. And looking back, you know how there are some paths in your life that you know you were ordained to follow. And it wasn't by choice. You were led there without realizing. So I was teaching and um, I was a third grade teacher and I loved it. I was very good with a classroom of kids and taking them from their itty bitty selves in the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And we did all sorts of great projects and wrote grants and self published books and things like that. And I won awards and I, I thought I would teach third grade forever. But you need to continue your education as a teacher. And that means get a master's degree and a certain number of credits every year. And so when I was going for my master's degree, I started out actually in reading because reading came so easily to me when I was young. That was the one area if I had to get a master's, I wanted to understand how kids who didn't read uh, struggled because it didn't make sense to me. So I started in reading and and I had a great professor and I really enjoyed my classes. But then our district started doing some reforming. And anybody that was going for reading or had a reading degree was going to be parallelly switched into a reading specialist position. And I didn't want that. I wanted to stay in the classroom. And I knew at the time. So I had a friend who was going for gifted studies. And she told me, the classes I'm taking are exactly what your educational philosophy is. Meet the kids where they are. Move them forward every day. Ignite a passion for learning. Find out what their strengths are and build on their strengths. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to switch because nobody's going to push me into a gifted position because those are the first programs that they cut, and I don't want to be a reading specialist. So I switched to gifted, fell in love, had an amazing professor, and he actually came to me uh, when I was getting ready to graduate and said, I just got a call from a district. It was a very affluent district with very challenging parents, and I can't recommend the person that they are checking references for because their district would eat her alive. She's not assertive enough to stand up to those types of parents. And it is a position that's tailor-made for you. I want you to go interview. And I was like, no, I'm not leaving my third grade position. And wow. he said, go interview. Interviewing's always great practice. And yeah. you can always turn down the position and who knows if you're even going to get it. And so I went in for the interview and they offered me the job on the spot because of this professor's recommendation, and it was too good an opportunity to pass up, and I just fell in love. These kids were my people. I loved them. I loved their quirky little selves and their irreverent conversations and the way they looked at the world and fell in love, which again, just set me up because my kids fall into those same categories, and it prepared me in so many ways for the kids that I ended up having. What a story. Yeah. I love it.
0: Also, I did really love third grade. There's something about third Third grade. It's the best, isn't it? Yes, it is the best. I remember we had mealworms that turned into beetles. I mean, I was James in the James and the Giant Peach play. (laughs) And I've got a lot of good memories from... The third grade my teacher collected elephants and so people would always bring her elephants and it was really special so i could see you would be perfect as a third grade teacher but what a story yeah preparing you mm -hmm. preparing you for right now yeah preparing you for the things that you're doing in your life today so what a thing can you tell us okay so i've got this book it's fantastic and i know it's one that's really popular with families, Raising Resilient Sons, that mm-hmm. you don't just have sons. No, I don't. You also have daughters. You've got a mix, right? You've got half and half. I do. Knowing that, because I think someone would pick up a book, Raising Resilient Sons, and think maybe you just have sons. Yeah. But what drew you to write this book for moms that have boys?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. At first, I didn't want to keep it just for sons. And then the more I was doing research and the more I was having conversations with my editor, I realized it was a book that was missing on our bookshelves gosh, boys need to be boys, right? There is a certain resilience and confidence that we're stamping out of boys. And as I was doing more research about emotional intelligence and confidence and resilience, I started reading boys should be boys. And oh gosh, I wish I had the books in front of me. I'm looking over on my bookshelf as we're talking (laughs) because I want the titles. There were so many great books about the psychology and the physiology of boys' brains and boys' bodies and their needs that as I was writing, it was very clear that we needed more on the shelves about how to bring our boys up to be strong and resilient and confident while also having that emotional intelligence to be nurturing and loving to the people around them. And there are plenty of books about girls out there because for a long while, there weren't, right? And so there there were books about helping girls be more confident and helping girls be more resilient, but boys were missing in that picture. There were also a lot of books about whole family resilience and raising strong kids and confident kids, but boys need to try things. They need to take risks. They need to be set up for failure and then to be able to overcome that. They need to get out and be rough there are stories. And I'm definitely a writer and a person who shares stories all the time. And every chapter starts with stories. And then there's stories like woven in throughout. And as I was, again, researching and then writing, more and more of the stories were about things that my boys were going through and, and had gone through. And my boys are bookends. So they're 10 years apart. Trevor is going to be 21 and Isaac is 10. And there's so many things about those two bookends that are so different from the two girls in the middle. It's in their very nature. And when I talk to them about their social and emotional skills and needs and emotional intelligence, they're very different conversations. My girls are very introspective and think about what others are thinking, whereas my boys tend to then suppress what they're feeling and try to tough it out. And there is an importance in that, but there's also an importance of talking about what you're feeling. And And then moving forward from it and then solving problems and not feeling like a failure because you fell out of the tree or couldn't climb it or couldn't shoot the basket, the baskets in the basketball hoop or whatever it is. And so I just felt that there needed to be a practical and applicable kind of guide for parents, moms in particular, who tend to be home with their boys all the time, right? to be able to pick up and just use. And every chapter ends with like key takeaways. So you can skim and do something right when you finish with that section to help. Like from sitting down, my boys are gamers, they love their video games and I don't. And sending the message to them that I loathe video games isn't always the right message. You know, Sometimes you just need to meet them where they are and talk with them about what it is they enjoy to get them to buy into some of the other things you enjoy. And so just those different conversations are just peppered throughout the book because I think we need the tools to be able to talk to our kids in different ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, what a book, Raising Resilient
0: Sons. We are in the last few weeks for shopping for holiday gifts. And if you want to hear where do you get that this holiday season, Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows what they want. Here are a few of my favorite gifts that I found on their site. Under their Christmas gifts and stocking stuffer categories, they have gifts for her, for him, for kids, for teens, stocking stuffers, gift guides, gift sets, and more. I love the Book Nook Reading Valet, one of my favorites because I love to read. They have beautiful ornaments, customizable gifts, even the 12 Days of Hot Sauce Advent Calendar. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches, so shop now before they sell out this holiday season. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com outside. That's uncommongoods.com outside for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer, Uncommon Goods, or All Out of the Ordinary. I love how you started off, you're talking about, you know, like you have your first and he's a boy and that's our oldest is a boy too. And you had just different thoughts about how it was going to go. And then it didn't go the way that you thought. So can you tell us a story about the coloring sheets and you're trying to get them to color with all the
1: all the little friends that are there, It is like not having it? Yeah, all my friends had girls. And, you know, you're going to be this great mom, right? Because you read all the books. And, you know, I was a nanny for a while, you know, putting myself through school. So I had a group of friends and we met for coffee regularly. And my girlfriend, uh, you know, brought her a little girl who was uh, born the same month as Trevor, my oldest. And um, then there were babies and toddlers, you know, walking around and every one of them could sit, right? You could plop them in their little high chair or their chair and they'd color in their coloring sheets while moms would have conversations. And Trevor would like walk circles and then the circles would get like, bigger and faster and more frenzied. And he, numerous times, not just this time that I wrote about, but numerous times at restaurants, he would walk into or run into corners of tables and end up with a black eye. And for a while, I thought I was this terrible parent. And there's probably a lot of things that I could improve on in my parenting, but you can't make uh, somebody do something that they're not wired to do. And it was very evident that the girls were different than the boys. When they were little, they gravitated for diff- towards different things. They played differently. Even when they were playing with the same things, those two kids that are in that story, Trevor and then my girlfriend's daughter, Allie, Allie would spend lots of time at our house, same toys. She and Trevor played with them very differently, more sedately on Allie's side, more rambunctiously on Trevor's side. And they enjoyed each other, but they approached everything from a slightly different perspective. And I mm-hmm. think that's important to remember that, We're not failures and we're not wrong, and our kids aren't broken. They're who they're meant to be. And it's our job to like bring out of them what it is they're meant for and to see them for who they are. Mm -hmm. And you could see that right from the get go. I mean, right from the very
0: beginning, you've got little ones in high chairs and you see it right from the beginning. It's a good thing to notice. Mm -hmm. One of the key themes in this book is helping children develop their emotional intelligence and you have this beautiful story about the candy cane at walmart with your son Uh, i would love to hear that story and then maybe slide into how do we help our kids develop emotional intelligence and i guess in this particular case really focusing on our sons
1: yeah that's a great story and it just chokes me up almost every time i hear about it and think about it so Years ago, um, we we tend to take off, actually, not even years ago, still now, we tend to take off homeschooling for most of the months of November and December, uh, starting around Thanksgiving, because we have four birthdays and Thanksgiving and Christmas and mm-hmm. Advent and New Year's. And then it ends on January 2nd with my youngest son's birthday. And so I always tried to do things that we could just fully embrace the season. And one of those things was just random acts of kindness. Way back in the beginning, when um I first started my site, Raising Lifelong Learners, it was very, very much a blog from 15 years ago, you know, or 10 years ago, where, you know, lots of stories about what you're doing, free printables and things like that. And I did a random acts of kindness challenge with different ideas. And so we did it too. We had a, a bag in our car. We had different ideas of things that we would do each day. Sometimes we'd go to Chick-fil-A and like buy ice cream for a kid that was in there or whatever. But we also had in the car a basket of gift tags and candy canes and little notes on the candy canes that said, you know, you're special or or you're loved for who you are or, you know, have a great day or whatever. And if we didn't have like an act planned, the kids would grab a candy cane. And I don't even remember how old Trevor was at this time, but I had three. So he would have had to be at least like seven or eight, because there's a five year difference between him and Molly. And so they had their little candy canes to give to people. And Trevor was aware enough that he would feel embarrassed by this action, Um, you know, and whereas Molly was like, she'd go up to Perfect Stranger and they'd be best friends within five minutes. Mm -hmm. And so we were in um, the store and Molly had given away her candy and Logan had given their candy. We kind of used the idea of find someone you think needs a smile. And so that's what I told them to look for. Look for somebody. Think, yeah, just somebody that you think might need a smile. And so my girls would gravitate towards kids usually. And Trevor sometimes wouldn't do it at all, and other times, you know, he'd find somebody that looked like him or felt like him. And this time we were in um, the checkout line, and the checkout woman was very gruff, very gruff, very gruff looking clearly having either a bad day or did not enjoy her job. And um, was like barking at us, essentially. So the kids were kind of wide eyed, you know, putting the bags in the cart as we're passing, you know, as we're we're checking out. And we check out and we're walking away. And Trevor asked me to stop and he ran back. And he gave the woman his candy cane. And I think his note said something like you are loved and have a great day. And um, he started like, almost running, like run, walking away back towards us. And she stopped and she came um, down the aisle and just like enveloped him in this hug. And Mm -hmm. she was a very large woman and this very little skinny, scrawny boy was just like lost in her arms. And she had tears swimming in her eyes. And she said, thank you. And she turned back and she walked Mm -hmm. back to her work and went back to checking out the next guest. And he didn't say much, but you could see like it was a very transformative moment. And he felt he remembers that. I remember that as a pivotal kind of moment where it was a visual of how something super small can make a huge difference in somebody's day. She went back to her checkout area and she was smiling and she smiled at the next person in that line. And it was a candy cane, a little boy with the candy cane. And so when it comes to building emotional intelligence, which emotional intelligence is just all those soft skills, right? It's noticing, it's being empathetic towards others. It's really listening. Mm -hmm. It's talking in a way that is kind and realizing and recognizing that others have things that they're going through just like you do. Um, It's knowing that they have their own perspectives and everybody brings something to the table. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes intentionality. It takes finding ways to model it, whether it's random acts of kindness. I mean, we did lots of things that were invisible, like taping dollars to toys in the dollar section, right? Um, And then visible things like the candy canes. It's showing the kids different ways that they can make an impact, even as little kids. Mm -hmm. It's also showing kids the way you talk to others by modeling. I like to tell people that and it's kind of a sobering thought. It was an epiphany for me a couple of years ago. We are our kids' only example of what a healthy adulthood looks like, a healthy marriage, healthy parenting. They see other people, but they see us at our most vulnerable, our most intimate, our worst and our best. So we want our kids to see that you know adulthood is worth it. Parenting is worth it. Homeschooling is worth it. And there's value to it. And we want to show them through our actions how to be a good, healthy, contributing member of that society, you know, of society in general, and then of the family, because we don't want our kids to think like being an adult is being burnt out, being a parent is being frustrated all the time, right? The holidays are a frenzy and we're just all grumpy. So, by doing little things or talking to people in a kind way, you know, thanking the person at the checkout or the drive through it's little teeny things that add up down the road to big things. So the easiest and the most in a nutshell kind of idea for building emotional intelligence and then resilience in your kids, because that goes hand in hand, I can talk about that mm-hmm. in a second, is doing the little things with intention knowing that your kids are watching and you want to show them how to be a good, healthy, strong, competent adult.
0: That's beautiful. And you have this beautiful quote in here that says, family life is our first school for emotional learning. And I love the idea. Find someone you think might need a smile. It takes the focus here and it puts it out so that you become a noticer. But let's, yeah, let's move on to resiliency. I loved this story that you talked about because it's so true. You had this concept of being seen as being heard. And then you were talking about like how everyone is so excited to get on the screen at a sports game. And it is the truth. I mean, what in the world? It is like, I mean, everybody is performing and trying to get their friends, their family up there. And how does, I never really thought about it before. like like everybody tries and then as soon as you're up there you're so thrilled it's like your two seconds of fame and you were talking about well it just the presence and i have this under the resiliency section i'm not quite sure why but
1: <laughs> it's here uh-huh. we'll figure it out
0: yes let's start there well you were talking about like including your kids their presence has value their contributions have value you know it anchors them they feel valued mm-hmm and then you have the sentence being seen as being heard which i thought was so beautiful
1: yeah so all of that what you just read there ties into that foundation of this is my safe space right my family values me for me it's why in our family everybody goes to celebrate or support everybody else i've got You know, my youngest has played basketball. My others weren't very sporty, um, which is interesting because my husband and I met playing sports and um, we both played sports in college and nobody in my family is very sporty. In fact, it was very short lived in my youngest as well. But We went to, you know, everybody went to at least one of his basketball games and it's agonizing, you know, as a parent watching like nine year olds, eight year olds play on the basketball court, right? Mm -hmm. But everybody went to one game. Not everybody loves musical theater, but everybody sees at least one show in Molly's run. If we're available and not doing our other things, everybody who is available goes to the recital when somebody's, you know, got a vocal performance or a piano performance. Everybody supports everybody else. Everybody knows where strengths in our family lie and where weaknesses lie. Everybody recognizes that Logan has generalized anxiety disorder. She talks about it. We talk about it. I've talked about it. She's actually been on a Facebook live with me talking about anxiety from a kid's perspective. It's just beautiful. It's just part of who she is. And she knows that sometimes a panic attack will happen because her hormone levels will surge and her body will be thrown into fight, flight, or freeze. And the others know that it doesn't make Logan bad or broken, it just is. And so if she's struggling and they're around and no one else is, they can help her. Mm -hmm. It's all about being who you are for how you were meant to be and knowing that everybody has something to contribute to the greater whole of our family. Mm -hmm. Why that has to do with resilience is the most resilient, the most confident, the strongest internally, Kids and adults are the ones that know they have a soft place to land. They have a safe place to be. They have a support system that's going to love them forever and be there for them no matter what happens. Um, I was just working on a new book that I was telling you about, and there's a section in there where I was talking about as kids get older, I was overhearing a conversation in a coffee shop where there were two women having coffee and their friend had called them and said that that she couldn't meet. After Mm -hmm. all, she was going um, to pick her son up uh, in the city over where he was living because he'd broken up with his longtime girlfriend and um, he was going to come home for a time before he figured out what he was going to do. And they were criticizing this mom because here's this 20-something-year-old guy and she's dropping everything to go pick him up and bring him home. And they were saying things like, I told my kid when he's 18, he's on his own, they can come home for college vacations. Um, but they're adults at that point and they need to stand on their own two feet. And I remember feeling as I'm sitting there, like, I don't ever want to be that. If my kids have kids of their own and something is wrong in their marriage or in their heart, just and they just need somewhere to decompress before they go back and tackle the hard. My door is going to be open and they can talk to me if they want to, or they can just be my cupboards will be stocked with their favorite snacks and they can Mm -hmm. just sit in a room because my job doesn't end when they turn 18. My job is to be there and to be the support system so that they can be resilient out everywhere else so they can bounce and resilience just means bouncing back from adversity right. right and i know as an adult there have been times where like i've taken a shower so i could cry because life just gets overwhelming right yeah. you want somewhere you can go just to decompress get it out then you can tackle everything that's coming at you it doesn't yeah. mean i don't want a parent anymore or, I don't want to, you know, tackle the hard things because marriage can be hard or, you know, the problems that are happening in your job. It just means you need a break and you need to be able to bounce back. And so by starting that early, letting our kids know that they are part of the greater whole and their value is inherent in our family, then they can grow to be more resilient because they know they always have that foundation to stand on that is beautiful. What an interesting thing too, you know, everyone
0: always says little people, little problems, big people, big problems, or Mm -hmm. saying like that, right? Basically, as our kids grow older, that their problems get, tend to get larger. So, it almost seems like it should be the opposite, you know, to be a place where you're, kids i mean as you become an adult and you're dating and you're starting to have children you're going to college you're trying to find your career these are big things and to be able to have a place to land even once you become an adult is so beautiful so i loved this section on resiliency this is the time of year many of us are thinking about how we're going to pay our family's medical bills in 2024 Before making a final decision, here are three reasons I encourage you to take a look at healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries. One, you're part of a Christian community. When you have a medical need, fellow Samaritan members send money directly to you to help you pay your medical bills, and you'll do the same for them, all while praying for and encouraging one another. Two, there are no networks which put you in control of your family's healthcare, You know what's best for them, so you choose the doctors and hospitals you go to and have a say in the treatments they receive. Three, you set your start date. Join today and start healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries right now. Or join today and choose what month you'd like to start. It's up to you. Whether it's a broken bone, cancer, pregnancy, or other medical emergency, you'll find comfort knowing you're connected to 80,000 Christian households across the nation who stand ready to care for one another spiritually and financially during a time it's needed most, and it could be more affordable than what you're paying now. Check it out at SamaritanMinistries.org/slash-outside. And then you had a huge section on play, so I want to pop there just because all these parents are trying to get their kids outside and to infuse life with play. Let's start with the benefits because you talk about there's some consequences of lack of play but also some benefits and it's such a long list in here, but you say crucial lessons that can't be taught in school or by other adult directed means they can only be learned through free self-directed play. What are some benefits that you tell parents about letting their kids play?
1: Yeah, and I know I'm probably echoing a lot of the stuff that you have, too, and stuff that I know Peter Gray's talked about. Well, it
0: needs to be echoed, doesn't it? I mean,
1: I think it needs to be echoed. I do
0: think that's part of the point is that, like, okay, we're we're inundated with screens, and we're inundated with marketing, and there are people that are trying to grab our attention. So, for me, it's hard. It is hard to hold that line. And I like to be reminded why.
1: Yeah, I agree. I love hearing about it. I've just recently read a new book about play and I wrote about it again in the next book coming up because it does bear repeating. Right. We schedule so much of our kids time and we feel even when we're trying to get our kids outside more or um, give them more free play, we also feel that pressure. To have them involved in things, especially as they get older, right? Mm -hmm. Because college is looming, or if they're not going to go to college, still serious stuff is looming. And we forget that that's not the only thing, right? Work is not the only thing. So, first, to answer that question, there are cognitive benefits, right? Free play builds problem solving, it builds critical thinking, it builds creative thinking innovation, kids think differently when they're engaged in the type of problem solving that comes with play, especially when they're playing with multiple ages or when they're involved with different ages of kids. And play doesn't have to look like board games or running around with sticks outside. It can look like conversations my kids engage in wordplay all the time and storytelling and things like that. They'll watch a movie, my kids together. And I said, I've got a kid who's about to turn 21 and then 16, 14 and 10, and they'll actively work and negotiate to figure out a movie that fits all the needs. We'll still engage the 21-year-old because he's still living at home, um, but is okay for the 10-year-old to be involved. And they'll They'll trade insults and insights and conversations as they're watching and they'll take breaks and make snacks and they're negotiating who gets what part or one snuggling in with another. And then the younger kids will go act out those movies or talk about them later. And then they'll talk with their older siblings about what would happen if, you know, this character did this instead. All of that's play. It's all opening your mind to thinking about things in a way that's not prescribed. And that's where Peter Gray says, you know, it can't be play if you're telling them what to do. If you're just involving too much structure, we need to let our kids be free to think outside the box and differently. And it's just as crucial when they're teens and teen play may look differently than young kid play. It might look like that wordplay. It might look like going up with, uh, so my my daughters do this all the time right now. My younger one is 14. She's the one with um, anxiety disorder and has always kind of trended about two years younger than her age, socially and emotionally. But this last year with puberty hitting, right, um, she's started wanting to be a little bit older or, or more like her age. And so she and my 16-year-old they play with clothes. They try on different outfits. They're testing out different styles. They're looking in online magazines and they've got group Pinterest boards shared between the two of them. They're thrifting, you know, going out with an idea of what they can piece together. And that is still yeah. play. It's it's engaging. It's interesting. We go to see plays. We go to the park and they kind of hang out and chat. And... What you're doing there is you're setting them up for a future where they don't forget how to play. One of the things that I just read recently, and I wish I had it in front of me so I could tell you where I read it, but I was reading about adults in play and how many adults let go of it and what it yeah. does to their adulthood. And I see that in my own home. My husband is an amazing guy. He's very talented. He's a tremendous educator, but he's tired. And he just has, doesn't play in the same way he once did. And part of that comes from 21 years of parenting, right? And, you know, and sometimes it's hard to drag yourself back outside with the 10-year-old because you think you should be past it. But my kids have noticed that dad doesn't know how to have fun anymore. And so that's something he's actively working on to remind himself how to play. And he's starting with board games.
0: So it's mm-hmm. something
1: tangible and yeah. then moving out to going for walks and chatting and things like that. But we want our kids to have fun throughout their lives. We want them again. We want to model the kind of adulthood we want for them. And mm-hmm. so when we play and we engage in the verbal byplay play and imagine with them and find cloud pictures and go for walks and push mm-hmm. them on the swing and swing with them. They see adults engaging with them, and they'll become adults who value that time. They might pick up crocheting or something in their 30s or 40s because playing with yarn was something mom did. Um, So play is important throughout because it keeps you younger. It keeps you healthier. It keeps you cognitively sharp. It teaches you negotiation skills, give Mm -hmm. and take, teaches you to listen to other people's perspectives and engage in conversation with all sorts of different ages and in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. I love this. And I love that you have opened up what
0: play is. And you talk about in your book, the characteristics of play autonomy. Mm -hmm. So like you're talking about, you're choosing to crochet you're choosing to go thrifting it's autonomous it's inherently self-chosen it's self-directed it's intrinsically motivated there's creativity it's free of stress you choose it for its own sake spans across ages and generations so lots of great information in this book about play and it really actually ties into this other thing you talked about with resiliency you said the absolute best way to develop and nurture your own resiliency this is huge. And I think it is so true is to bring joy into your life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, we have got kids that are struggling with this, that, or the other thing. Kim John Payne talks about it. He says, do fun things as a family.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He has a book that's phenomenal. It's called Emotionally Healthy Teens and Tweens. And that is really the whole premise of the book is the family as a base camp. And I think we all have times in our life where you're really struggling, but if you can weave in just a little bit of that kind of stuff. It definitely will change the way that you're feeling in the moment and be so helpful. So amazing ideas in here, Colleen. I just absolutely love it. It keeps going and going, but we have to move on because we're already, we're running out of time, but I know that you'll be back. Okay. This was another thing that I have highlighted and bolded, also all caps. You've had Andrew Peterson on your podcast. So real quick, can you tell people about your podcast? And then I want to talk about this topic here.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, My podcast is same name as my site, Raising Life. We tend to talk about things through the perspective or through the lens, right, of people who are homeschooling outside the box thinkers or neurodivergent kids. And just the idea of actually really that in conjunction with self-direction and like delight-driven, interest-led, kind of strength-based learning, just the freedom to meet your kids where they are, love on them and move them forward. So... Mm -hmm.
0: Beautiful. So people can check out that podcast. Absolutely. One of your favorite episodes was with Andrew Peterson. I just saw Andrew Peterson live in Texas at a conference earlier in the spring. And it was such a moving event. I'm like, anytime he's ever anywhere near where we're at, I want to go hear him sing. But also, like, he just had so many deep thoughts. And one of the things that you said he talked about on your podcast was being a student student of your child you said it was one of the all-time favorite interviews you've ever done can you talk about what that would look like in a home yeah well i have two questions what would it look like and do you think i kind of don't think i'm a super good i don't think i'm a super good noticer i'm not i don't think i'm a super good student of our kids if i actually really truly think about it it's something i want to aspire to be mm-hmm. so do you think that do you think it's a common thing that people are or an uncommon so it's two questions unpack that a little bit for us
1: I think I'm going to start with the second part and then I'm going to come back to the first part. Okay, Um, And then tie them both together. I think that I think it's less common than we think it is. I think we think oftentimes that we're doing a really good job of noticing our kids and we're not always doing as good a job as we think we are or should. Um, And I don't think that's through any fault of our own. We're busy. And when you're a homeschooling parent, you're even busier. Right. I like to say, you know, parenting's hard and um, homeschooling is parenting on steroids. Right. Because it doesn't let up. There's always something, whether it's the house stuff or the home stuff, or then someone gets sick, or you know, there's a wedding or a funeral or a birth or whatever. There's always something going on. Really easy to get derailed. It's also really easy to just do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. A, a perfect example of that. Years and years and years ago, we did. Um, there was a, a fall hiking spree in one of our counties, and mm-hmm. if you hiked nine of 13 trails, you got the first year, you got a hiking stick and and a shield. And then every year after that, you got a shield to put on your stick. And the first couple years, my husband and I enjoyed it and walked leisurely. And then after that, it was like getting the hikes in so we could get the shield, right? Um, And we were doing it. Our shields were all still there. And we're doing it. We're homeschooling and we're seeing our kids every day. But we're not taking time to enjoy the moment or really Mm -hmm. recognize what's going on. So I wasn't really good at this for a while. So Andrew and I talked and it was one of those things that the original reason he came on the podcast was because we were both speaking at an event and the event organizers had asked me to have a couple different people on the podcast if I was willing. And he it it sounded like it was going to be a great interview. Just like you, I would go anywhere to hear Andrew Peterson speak. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's an amazing singer. He's a great writer, but he is a tremendous speaker. He's just got so much insight and he can take a simple observation and really dig deep underneath it. And that was what that conversation ended up being. We were talking about kids. We were talking about the giftedness and gifts in kids. And it led into this idea that he said that his wife, he was talking about how good his wife was at noticing their children. And really honing in on what their nonverbal actions and and language was saying, and it's all about bringing his son actually on the road with them because they needed a musician to fill out a band. Their his band, and um, his son was showing him without telling him that he wanted that position and he wanted the opportunity to audition for this role and. His wife said to him, go let our son, I don't remember his name offhand right now, but go let him try, see what he's about. And he's like, really? You think that you think? And he did. He pulled him in. He knew all the music was right there. And it not only filled out the band in this beautiful way, but it drew them closer together and made him realize that he was missing some of those things about the kids that because he just took it for granted, because it was just what was happening on a daily basis. That inspired me to recognize at that time, all the things I wasn't noticing. And I actually, Jenny, here's a tip for you that I've told other people for years, because I think it's probably the single best thing you can do for your homeschool and your parenting is be that student of your child. I got a little notebook that was pocket size. I have four kids. They are color coded on the calendar so I don't miss, you know, meetings and stuff. And I took a piece of washi tape in their color from our calendar and I Mm -hmm. sectioned off that little pocket size notebook um, just on the edges with their color. So each section had a different color and I kept it in my pocket with a little like golf pencil. And I just started writing things. I would sometimes it would be a crazy day and I'd write at the end of the day, just jot a couple bullet points. Sometimes I'd notice something during the day and I'd make a note. Sometimes it was something they said to me. Sometimes it was something that they gravitated towards. I was noticing that, you know, this one was watching knitting tutorials. It never panned out to anything, but she was actively involved in trying to figure out how to knit. And Mm -hmm. so I jotted that down and kind of like, bought some yarn that was on sale and a couple like chunky knitting needles and just put them out. But it's and one seemed sad more often than she had been. And so I just started jotting down things that I noticed. And what it did was not keep this like volume of notes on my kids because I don't really do it anymore. But it trained my brain to notice. It trained my brain to see what they were doing. And to start asking questions, I just interviewed someone, the podcast will air in a couple mm, weeks. I'm a little ahead right now because I need to be with the editing process coming up. And we were talking about the idea of being curious as a parent, especially as a homeschooling parent, just approaching everything with an air of curiosity instead of like you're on screens again. Well, why are you choosing that game? Why do you keep coming back to that game? Maybe you should try this instead. You can you can engage them in the conversation about why it might be better to go jump on the trampoline or run outside with the dogs. But the approach changes from curiosity. Why have you been looking at these tutorials? Are you interested in learning or were you trying to figure out what Aunt Judy does when she knits? Just asking questions, approaching it from a curiosity standpoint, but training your brain to notice. And if that means writing it down in a little color-coded notebook that you keep in your pocket. Do that for a while because it's not something that's going to add a ton to your day, but it's going to be a tangible reminder to notice your kids. And do you see that we came totally full circle, Colleen?
0: We started off with the noticing Mm -hmm. that your son noticed the worker, the cashier, and found someone he thought might need a smile. And we're ending with noticing and being a student of your child, which is what you would do if you're a student. You would keep a little notebook and you would take notes. And I just think that's such a beautiful idea. Colleen, you have wonderful ideas. You have so many books. People can find you and I'll make sure I'll put the different links. But you offer so much. So lots of ideas for books, lots of ideas for finding information other ways too. You got podcasts and you have these communities that people can join in on. We always end our show with
1: a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside. I love that. Okay, one of my favorite, favorite memories of my childhood. We lived on a very, very busy road, very busy. But behind us, there were several neighborhoods, right, that weren't as busy, just our road. So we always went towards the back, right? And I remember two roads behind, there was this big dried out ravine area, like um, water reservoir. I don't even know what it was. It just, in my head, it's like this big cement Place. And back then, like we just had to come home at dinner time, right? All the parents would like, there'd be this chain of calls, cat calls from all the houses, like the parents would continue to pick it up. So we just went out on our bikes and riding in that ravine on that cement and then ditching our bikes and hiding them under the shrubbery so we could climb trees and our bikes would be there when we came back. We just ran and ran and ran wild in this wooded area by a dried out reservoir and it had all sorts of games and imaginings and like we fancied ourselves like professional BMX bikers you know going up and down these cement hills and and stuff. It was just so fun to be outside all day until the calls started and then everybody trudging you know trudging home and calling goodbyes until you were like the last one by your own house i just i remember that i miss that i wish we still had a neighborhood like that where my kids could go out and experience that
0: well that's all those things about play that you talked about the autonomy the self-chosen and self-directed creativity active free of stress chosen for its own sake and spans across ages because that's how neighborhood play is yes you got all the different ages out there that's so beautiful colleen i so appreciate you coming on what a treat i know you'll be back yes because you have a book coming out in july called the homeschool advantage people want to find more they can listen to you have so many brilliant podcast episodes and wow the content just spans everywhere so what a gift Mm -hmm. for families that they can kind of meet in with what you're doing in a lot of different ways, whether it's reading a book or listening to a podcast episode or joining a community. There are so many ways to connect with you coming to hear you speak. I know you speak all over the country. So thank you so much for being
1: here. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. And I'm so glad that we finally got to do it.